I want to preach a message today, um, and I'm going to say this week and next week, entitled this way, Messages from the Empty Tomb. Kind of a, kind of a message that's going to speak out of the empty tomb. And I'm going to have that background both weeks, a little different words this week, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second, then it'll be different words for next week. But they're messages from the empty tomb, and let me just kind of set this thing up. It's the week after Easter, and... And I have a message that comes out of the Easter story. Um, something I think that we can see if we step back from the events of Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And as I said, I really had no intentions on preaching this, but I, I really felt directed of the Lord to preach these two messages. And um, the only question was, which one, which week? And uh, so I, I think, think this is the right way. And so... Um, it's a message from the empty tomb. It's a message that's found in, for this week, that's found in the message that Peter preached just shortly after the original Easter Sunday. Um, and it's a message that is, I think, extremely timely for us, given our current state of, of politics, um, world strife over things like ISIS, uh, global economic problems, uh, not to mention just the ordinary, everyday human life problems, sickness and raising kids and paying bills, employment, saving for the future, all those things. The message is one that we need so we can do something, that we can exhale and be comforted. Okay? And this is the message. Relax. God is accomplishing his plan. So what I want to talk about today. So do something with me this morning. Take a big breath in. And exhale. It feels good, doesn't it? Relax. God is accomplishing his plan. He's not worried. He's not stressed. Things in this world are going exactly according to his plan. And I want us to think about this today because I think it is something that we need to be reminded of from time to time in our lives. Now, I said that this message that we're reminding, of, of, reminding us of today is a message that's found in a message that Peter preached shortly after the original Easter Sunday. And that's where I want us to start today. We're going to start in, in um, chapter 2 of Acts. So you can turn there and just wait for me for a minute. So we're going to start Acts chapter 2. But let me just kind of explain what's going on here. In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the rest of the disciples who had walked with Jesus and then witnessed his crucifixion, witnessed his resurrection, and were um, gathered together in prayer in Jerusalem. This is what's happening at this time. And as they were gathered in prayer, the Holy Spirit falls upon all of them, and they began to speak, the Bible says, speak in other tongues, speak the praises of God in languages that they had never known. And then because of this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, there's all these people speaking in all these languages they never learned, um, a crowd gathers around Peter and the other people who are gathered, about 120 of them are gathered together, and a massive crowd gathers around them, and Peter preaches the first ever Christian evangelistic sermon. First one in history, Peter preaches the first one. Now usually what people focus on in Peter's sermon is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's correct to look at that. Matter of fact, I've preached many times from this text about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But there's another point that Peter makes in his sermon, and that's what I want us to look at today. So let's look in the middle of his sermon, 
after he's explaining what's going on with this manifestation of the Holy Spirit going on, let's see what he, what he has to say. So let's start in the middle of the sermon, chapter 2 of Acts, Acts 2, starting in verse 22. It says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Let's stop right there. Look at verse 23. It says, This man... Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. Let's listen to what Peter's really saying here. Listen to his point. Saying that all that man did in their attempt to kill Jesus, to silence him and to kill him, because that's why they did, they killed him in order to silence him because he was he was drawing a crowd. All that man did in killing Jesus was in reality simply man fulfilling the predetermined plan of God. In other words, God was accomplishing his plan. He was not worried. He was not stressed. Things were going according to his plan. Now think about something. It was easy for Peter to see this and say this, on the day of Pentecost. It's the day of Pentecost he's preaching here. It was easy for him to do that. Why? Because Jesus had already risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and said, go and wait for the promise of the Father, and then I'm gonna t- you're going to figure out what to do for ministry. So it was easy for Peter at, at the other end of the events of the death and, and, and then eventual resurrection of Jesus to say, listen, God was really in control. But what about just a short time earlier when when that mob led by Judas came in the evening and took Jesus away before he was killed. And the disciples are praying in the garden and the mob comes in and Jesus leaves and they've got clubs and they've got torches and, and then what happens? All the followers of Jesus, what did they do? They stood and they, they fought. No, they fled in fear, it says. And Peter, in just a short time later, actually denied even knowing who Jesus was. He's questioned three times. Do you, know, you must be one of his followers. I don't have a clue who this man is. He even denied knowing Jesus. So what about then? In the midst of that turmoil, did Peter believe that God was in control, working out his plan? I don't think so. I'm glad about that because I feel like Peter a lot. You see, if Peter had been confident that God had had a plan and God was working it out and Jesus dying on the cross was just part of the plan, then guess what? He never would have pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the chief priest's servant, which he did, in an attempt to, to, to free Jesus because they're taking him, and he never would have denied that he knew who Jesus was when Jesus was arrested. Right? That's why he wouldn't have done that. He would have, if he thought God had a plan, he would have just said, well, it's all part of the plan, let it happen. But he didn't know that. But think about something in the midst of that whole story. What was true? What was the truth of the situation? The truth of the situation was this. God was accomplishing his plan. God was not worried. God was not stressed. Things were going according to God's plan. 
But that truth isn't always so easy to believe when you are in the middle of the storm, when you are in times of stress, is it? It's not always so easy to believe it then. That's why we need to take time when we are not in the middle of a storm to remind ourselves of what is true. What's truth? So that when the storms hit, and they always do, this time it's your storm, another time it's somebody else's storm, then when the storms hit, we have a more solid footing to stand on, and we can cling to what is really true, even if it seems hard to believe in the middle of what you're going through. So what I want to do today with the time that we have, is I want to remind you about three truths about God that we can stand upon, especially when difficulty occurs. Things that we can say to ourselves, take a deep breath, relax, Mark, God's in control. Relax, God is accomplishing his plan. So you're ready for three things to remember at times like that? Yeah? Number one, first thing to remember, God's kingdom is never in trouble. God's kingdom is never in trouble. It is very easy for us to get things mixed up in our worlds. We live in this world with things we can see, touch, smell, taste, and hear, right? We have five senses. And we have our little kingdoms and queendoms, little areas in our lives, places where we have influence over things. So in my kingdom... I have my house and my car and I can have my butter burger and I can eat my butter burger. And when I eat my butter burger, I want everything on it. No one can tell me what I can't have on my butter burger when I order it at Culver's because it's part of my kingdom. That's my influence. I'm, I have an influence over that, right? And it's easy to have all of our focus on our kingdoms and forget that there is a much greater kingdom than our little kingdom. That there is a much greater kingdom that our little kingdoms live within and live under, and that much greater kingdom is God's kingdom. The truth is this, God is the king of the kingdom, and that's how he can work out his plan through the activity of little people's little kingdoms, that he's the ultimate king, of the ultimate kingdom, and that that his kingdom, which is eternal and is independent of any of our kingdoms, is always stable and is never in trouble. Men's little kingdoms rise and fall. I tomorrow Culver's might close, and I might not be able to buy the butter burger that I want. My kingdom can be in trouble, but God's kingdom is never in trouble. Friends, this is the message that Jesus was revealing to Pilate when he was on trial before Pilate. The message he's teaching was a message of what kingdom is really in charge. Grab your Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. Just a couple pages back from where you are right now in Acts. If you don't have a Bible and you're visiting with us, there's Bibles under the seats in front of you. You're welcome to take a Bible and keep it. If you don't have one, we'd love to give away Bibles. Nothing we'd rather do. So in John 18, chapter 18, let, I'm going to read part of 18 and then part of 19. You're going to see something here. Chapter 18, so let's start in verse 33. 
It says, therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium, which is his mansion, his palace, and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests delivered you to me. What have, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this, is, for, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now slide over into chapter 19, starting in verse 7. It says, the Jews answered him, Pilate, we have a law. And by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, Pilate heard the statement. He's even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Let's stop right there. Now look at this interaction. We have Pilate. This Roman ruler, Pilate, he's a ruler. In essence, he's a king of a substantial kingdom. And he's talking to one, Jesus, who appears to have no substantial kingdom at all. Jesus has influence over just a few disciples, and at this point, they've all left him. He has little, or basically at this point, no money. He has nothing. His kingdom appears to be non-existent. He has control over himself. That's it. And it appears that Jesus' kingdom is subservient to Pilate's kingdom. And Pilate says to him just just that, I have the authority to crucify you and I have the authority to let you go. He's saying, my kingdom, I have the authority to do whatever I want here and I'm in control of you. But here's the question to ask. Is Pilate right? Is that the truth? It's not the truth, is it? Jesus says what is really true in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. As Jesus says, he says his kingdom is not of this world and it's from his kingdom, God's kingdom, that all authority originates. The kingdoms of this world which rise and fall can do nothing contrary to the authority and the plan of God's kingdom. Now listen, every person who's a follower of Jesus is part of God's kingdom and lives under its provision and his protection. 
Nothing, the scriptures say, can separate you from the love of God. In other words, nothing can separate you from living within the stable kingdom of God. Therefore, since God's kingdom is never in trouble, and you are in God's kingdom, then you are never really in trouble regardless of what man ever does. You are always safe within the kingdom of God. But you just may be at a point where you don't see that worked out yet. Remember Peter? What was true about Peter? It was true on the day of Pentecost. It's a predetermined plan of God. A couple days earlier, he's lopping off people's ears. Why? Because he didn't see it then. But a little while later, he saw it. Friends, if you're a child of God, you are always safe within the kingdom of God. You just may be at a point where you don't see that worked out yet. Peter was just as safe in the kingdom while he, the mob was arresting Jesus as he was when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost. He just didn't see it worked out yet. So for us, the first truth to stand upon is this, that God's kingdom is never in trouble. So I am never really in trouble myself so I can relax. That makes sense? Get that? Yeah? No? Good. Yeah. Let's look at the second truth in light of the fact that God is accomplishing his plan. And it's this. God's church will advance. I told you a couple weeks ago about a friend of mine who is leaving his denomination because his denomination no longer believes in Jesus' divinity and resurrection. Um, They said he was a fool for believing in the myth of the resurrection. And he finally said, Mark, I can't stay in this group anymore. I've got to leave. They don't believe in the biblical Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. We hear all the times about so-called Christian churches that endorse all types of things that are clearly unbiblical, right? It would be easy to conclude that God's church is in trouble, right? It would be easy to conclude that. Well, let's hear what Jesus has to say about that. Would you trust what he has to say? You say, well, Mark, I don't really care what you say. Okay. What's Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, something you're all probably pretty familiar with. He's talking to Peter in a new, the developing of the, of the early church. In Matthew 16, 18, he says this to Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Well, what's it say there? The gates of Hades might overpower it? I'm starting this thing and it might not make it. Is that what it says? It says, no, upon this rock I'll build my church. The rock was the testimony that Peter had just given. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. After Jesus said, who do men say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter said, Jesus says, upon that rock, upon that statement that I am the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus said that he is building his church and nothing, not even the forces of hell, can overpower and stop what he is doing through his church. Let's remind ourselves of something. We are part of his church. This is part of his church. This organism is uh, that we are part of as Christians is his idea. It's his church. And he will protect and advance his church. 
Now we know this. Individual expressions of his church, local churches, do have problems, can lose their way like my friend's whole denomination, and do start and do stop. But the church, all God's people across all God's world, are alive and well and are advancing. And the truth about the church is that is that this is God's church and there is nothing that Satan or man can do to stop it. So when you're watching the 6 o'clock news and you're seeing what ISIS is doing in Syria and they're doing and they're demolishing 2,000-year-old church buildings and you're saying they're going to come to America, they're going to destroy the church. Let me tell you, friends, there's nothing God or nothing Satan or ISIS or anybody can do to destroy the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Man can't do anything to stop it. And if a person wants to advance, if you want to be a person who advances in this world, you want to, you want to be a person who makes a sure bet, you know what? Be part of the church and invest your resources and your energies into the church because Jesus didn't say your company, that the gates of hell won't destroy your company. He didn't say the gates of hell is not going to, that America is never going to collapse. He didn't say that. He says the church, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not, will not defeat it. So if you want to bet on a sure thing, bet on the church. You want to invest into a sure thing, invest into the church with your energy and your time and your resources. You know what? Economies fall apart. Wars are fought. But none of that's going to stop the church of God. None of it. So, you want something to stand on that's true? Something that can make you relax? Nothing's going to stop God's church. The third thing. In light of the fact that God is accomplishing His plan, here's a third thing you can stand upon. Simply this, two words. God wins. God wins. The ultimate outcome of God's plan is simply this. God wins. People try to figure out all the prophetic literature. What's the book of Revelation tied to Daniel? What's Isaiah saying? I don't know. You know what I know? God wins. That's what I know. You see, God created mankind good and sinless and gave us the free will to choose to follow Him or to reject Him. Mankind chose to reject God and serve self. And all the thousands of years of human existence reveal the result of that decision. What's the result? Hate, violence, greed, and abuse. On and on and on and on it goes. But God had a plan all the time. Before the world was created, the plan was in place to rescue humanity and bring restoration. God would come to mankind as one of us, live a perfect life, and give himself as payment for the sins that we committed. And at the exact right time, according to God's plan, Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again, and he offers everyone forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus broke the curse that was pronounced on mankind due to sin, and he welcomes people to himself for the restoration of what man originally had, which was what? It was life with God in the garden. And when a person comes to Jesus, receives salvation, and the restoration of that relationship with God happens, that, my friend, is God winning. Humanity that was once lost, rebellious against God, now living in fellowship with Him, 
now and for eternity. That's God winning. Friends, God wins. The curse is broken. The relationship is restored between God and man. And we can rest and we can relax in that. How's it all going to play out? I don't know. A lot of times I'm like Peter in the midst of it. It's like mobs are coming in and things are going wrong. And I'm going, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. But you know what? Take a step back, church. What do we know? God wins. That's what, that's the main message that the scriptures are teaching. God wins. He wins when you come into a relationship with him. And there you, know, you walk with him now as he restores your life. He is progressively restoring your life. He, you walk with him now through eternity. Christianity isn't this get saved today so I can live some, by and by tomorrow. Christianity is I come to know a relationship with God today so I can live with him now for eternity. That's God wins. The world crashes. Economies crash. Wars happen. But God wins. And when I am with God, I'm in Christ. I'm safe in His kingdom. Right? I'm on the winning side. I can relax. I can exhale. And I can say, this is what I ultimately know. God wins. I might not know how it's going to happen, but I'm secure in His kingdom. And I can rest in the fact that God wins. Friends, His kingdom is never in trouble. His church will advance. And He wins. So take a deep breath and exhale. If you are in Christ, you are safe and you are secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know what? If you're not yet in Christ, you can today. Explain that earlier during communion. You can today. You can say, I'm tired of running. I'm running to you, God, instead. That's what it's all about. When that happens, God wins there and he wins from there all the way through Eternity. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are so real to us, that you are here. And Lord, there are some in this place who are in the midst of, of, of they're, they're Peter on the night of the mob. And they're saying, I'm not seeing your plan. There's others who are on the day of Pentecost and they're preaching from the other side of a difficulty. And they're saying, yeah, it's obvious God had a predetermined plan. God, the truth is in all of it, you have a predetermined plan. And God, this is our prayer that for every person who might be in the middle of it right now, that these truths would literally penetrate into the core of their soul. That the kingdom is never in trouble. That your church will always advance. And that you win. And that God, there would be incredible comfort and rest and relaxation in that. Something that a vacation can't give up. Something that a drink can't accomplish. Something that no um, medication can really give. Real peace. Real contentment in Christ. And I ask you, God, right now, to touch your children and help everyone experience that. Because you love your kids. Thank you, God.
God, I pray now, as we walk from this place, we'd walk with a sense of confidence into whatever's going on in our worlds. Because you have a plan and you're working it out. And in the end, and in the middle, and in the beginning, you win. Thank you that we're your children. We rest in that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If you want prayer, I'll be up here. Pastor Chris will be up here. We'll gladly pray with you.